last two times I have spoken, it's been on the calling that God has on your life. Two Thursdays ago, I spoke on it. We had some fun with it with our cell phones and took a call from God or a call from each other or whatever. Then last week, we talked about calling a little more. I want to go a little deeper this week. And I told you the first time I spoke on it, two Thursdays ago, that I had basically just barely touched the edge of the iceberg, if you would. And I'm going to uh, continue this morning with the calling uh, that I want to talk to, and I want that calling to become a vision. Do you know the difference between a vision and a calling? Well, if you don't, just sit still, and about three hours from now, you should understand the difference. Amen? So we're going to talk about that. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation, the fourth chapter, while you're turning, we'll look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to open our eternal word, lay it out, understand it, get the uh, learning or the understanding that you have in your word and it become wisdom to us that we can use it to guide our lives in everything that comes our way. It's all about you, Lord, and it's all about souls. So teach us through your word how to understand the difference between the calling and the vision you have for each of us in our lives. And we'll praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn, if you would, in Revelation, the fourth chapter. Now, I've got down, I gave to Mike all the scriptures, and I've got down Revelation 1 to 11, which is the whole chapter. Uh, I doubt if we get halfway through that this morning. So, uh, but I'm just going to read one verse right now. It says, after this I looked, and behold... A door was opened in heaven, and the voice which I heard was as if it were, uh, as, <laughs> sorry about that. The voice, first voice which I heard was as it were a trumpet talking with me and said, Come up hither, and I'll show thee things which must be hereafter. I told you my eyes are getting bad. And a lot of times I'm, I've got it memorized, and when I'm reading it, sometimes my memorized portion gets faster than my mouth is moving and I get it all confused. But anyway, you can read it for yourself because it's right there. Anyhow, God's good to us. All right, so here in the fourth chapter of the book of Revelation, I want you to understand this is a vision that John got from God. They tried to kill him. Did you know that? John was martyred, if you would, or they thought they killed him. They put him on a little island called Patmos, just a little dinky thing in the middle of nothing. And they put him out there and they tried to boil him. They tried to cook him. They tried to kill him. They did everything. And he, the, the oil wouldn't, burn, wouldn't boil. So he survived that. And while he was there, if you would, stranded or left alone on that island, um, God spoke to him. Give him a vision. Now, I'm going to tell you something. This vision must have been really spectacular to John to get it for the first time. There is a real problem with us having a vision and trying to tell somebody else about it. When you get a vision, it's not because it was drawn up on a, a blackboard or you didn't read it out of a book per se. You get a vision, it's something that God gives you personally. And what you see in that vision is something that's spiritual and when you try to take something spiritual and relate it physical, a lot of times there's confusion that happens. 
You know, we talk about it all the time. And God says, I'll hold you in my hand. Right? Well, God don't have no hand. But we know what he means spiritually. He's going to guard us and take care of us, and he's going to provide for us. Just the way a father would his son. He uses that kind, if you would, of an analogy or some way of saying it. It's hard to take something spiritual and make it physical by writing it down. But he was impressed by the Holy Spirit to write the revelation he got. Now notice the book Revelation is not plural. It's singular. And the first verse there says, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not a revelation of John the divine. This is not about John. This is all about Jesus Christ and what he has done for his church. It's, it is, a, a, if you would, a synopsis of what is going to take place when we come to the place we want to be, the child of God, God wants us to be. All right, and that is, if you would, answering his call. We've talked about that for the last two messages. So once you answer the call, then you walk in the things that God shows you on a daily basis. That's called sanctification. You get rid of the things that God says, I don't want that in your life, and you take on the things God says, put this in your life, just like write it on your heart. Okay? I didn't know what Mike was going to put up there, but it's the, that's the way it works. So here we have... John given this vision of Jesus Christ of the things that Jesus has already done for the church. He wrote this, and the theologians argue, about A.D. 96. Well, Christ left this earth in the third, uh, about 30 years old. 30 to 33, we don't know exactly. We got some, some figures thrown around and different things, and we're not even real sure if the calendar is totally 100% correct. But it's at least 60 years after Christ left this earth that he gets this vision. Now, why would that be? Well, I can tell you, the only way they had to communicate in the first century was to tell the stories as it was told to them by the, their grandpa and their great-grandpa and their great-great-grandpa and all the way back to Moses, and very little of it was actually written down. They had some scrolls, they found some of them in what we've uh, found out to be uh, a thousand years later is called the Dead Sea Scrolls. And, of course, they were accurate and they showed what uh, the scriptures should have contained in them, a lot of it Old Testament scriptures. But we have now got Jesus Christ, if you would, 60 years after he was on the earth and left. Things have a way of getting uh, told different. You know, the story just ain't the same. You know, we always played the game as kids. We called it telephone. Is that the right name, telephone? Where I made up a story and I told it to her and she told it to her and she told it to her and around and around and around. And by the time it gets to the back row, that story ain't even close to what story I told her. Now, how is that? Well, it's the same way if you want to say how the scriptures was written. You know why it was that way? Because the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the lawyers and the scribes all wanted to kind of put their wording in or get it to sound like what they wanted it to sound like, if you would. And it's the same way in religion today. Amen. Now, I'm, I want you to read your Bible. I don't care if it's King James. I don't care if it's NIV. I don't care if it's everyday. I don't care if it's amplified. If it's the ABC, NBSC, QRST, any volume you want, just read it. Amen? 
And then if you have a problem with it, pray and ask the Lord. What's this really saying to me? See, everybody thinks they got a, a better insight on what the Bible should say, so they just put different letters on the outside of it and call it their version. Well, and there's even paraphrases Bibles and where they just read it as a whole and then put in their thought of the story. Well, you got to be careful of a lot of those. I know a lot of the churches nowadays are going with newer versions, and that I found some discrepancies that I really don't care for in the newer ones, and that's fine. I mean, it's not major, if you would. Some of them, I think, to me, they're major. And that's why I stick with the King James Version. Okay, and uh, I even at times will use other versions to bring out a point because not all the time do I agree with the, the way the King James Version reads it as a, how it applies in 2021. Some of the words we use nowadays aren't the same words they used in the first century. So we do have to from time to time kind of uh, make sure we're getting the right thoughts that are coming across. But here we have Jesus, if you would, being described by John uh, in what he was supposed to be doing for the church in not only the first century, but it's good till now. Uh, let me say this real close. Everybody listening? If you're listening, sit down. Good. Everybody's listening. All right. What the Bible says, we believe, right? Now, if you live, lived in the first century, what the Bible says was true then, right? And if you live in the 21st century, what the Bible says is true now. I have a problem with people taking the Bible and teaching things that aren't in there or that would have made no sense at all to the people a thousand years ago, 1,500 years ago, all right? So if this Bible was relevant to the first century church, whatever it's teaching has to be relevant to us today. Does that make sense? Because there are teachings out there. Believe me, there's tons of them that they will read the Bible and say, this is what that means. It means, oh. and that would have made no sense to the people that were reading it in the second century. Right? They, they couldn't grasp that at all. Amen. You want an example? Antichrist. I've been saved 46 years. Do you know how many people or how many things or how many whatevers I have told, have someone tell me was the Antichrist. If I made you a list, I probably need two sheets of paper just in the last 46 years that I've been a Christian of what or who or how the Antichrist is supposed to work. And his number. <laughs> Drive me nuts. All right. It wouldn't, those people weren't born. Those things weren't invented. Nobody knew anything about that stuff in the second century. So that had no effect on what the Bible says huh? to them. So if it don't mean anything to them, it can't be relevant to us in that form of teaching. Amen? I remember when I first got saved, man, they, they swore up and down. Henry Kissinger, he's the Antichrist. Amen? Then it was 
uh, the guy in, in Cuba, Castro, he's the Antichrist. And before that, it was probably the guy with the crazy mustache in Germany. Yeah, and, and there's all kind, but that would not have made any sense to the early church because they didn't know Hitler, Castro, Kissinger, or dude. They didn't know me, so I, I'm glad of that. That way you can't name me as the Antichrist. Isn't that great? I'm just Brother Dude. I'm walking where God wants me to walk. Now, is there an Antichrist? Yeah. Do you know that the word Antichrist, they take all this Revelation stuff and put on the Antichrist? The word Antichrist is not even in the Revelation. The word Antichrist only appears in John's letters. Huh. Well, it's the same John that wrote the Revelation, but 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John's the only place the word Antichrist even appears. And he even goes to great extent in those letters to tell us what the Antichrist is. It's anything that's against Christ. Because huh. it's anti-Christ. It's against Christ. I didn't mean to get off on that. I done wasted too much time and I ain't even got my first page yet. But I want you to understand the Revelation is different than any other books, if you would, in the scripture. And the reason we need to understand what it really says is because so many have taken it, tied it or not, twisted it, hung it from a tree, and said, yep, that's where it means. And that ain't got anything to do with it at all. We need to stay within the lids of the Bible when we read the Revelation, when we do any... Um, spiritual interpretation of what the revelation is teaching us, we need to get those spiritual revelations from the Word of God. Not Reader's Digest, not Sports Illustrated, not from that CNN, because they don't have the understanding that God wants us to have from His Word. All right. Now, we've talked about being called of God in the last two sermons, and I've given uh, here at Faith Christian Fellowship this morning, I'd like for you to come to grips with the idea that our calling uh, is to everyone in the world. No matter where you came from, no matter who your mommy and daddy is, no matter where you grew up, God's going to call us all. I believe that. I believe it's biblical. Amen? The Holy Spirit doesn't leave anyone out. This is God's plan, and God knows how to speak to every heart, no matter how you grow up, where you grow up, or what happened around you. Amen? It's obvious to us as a Christian to see those that have refused to answer God's call in the world around us. There's evil everywhere. Amen? But based on the two witnesses, who are the two witnesses? God's Word and God's Spirit. Based on those two, God's love and mercy is available to every person on this earth and beyond. I put in beyond there because some people would rather live on Mars. No matter what their color, no matter what their language, no matter what continent they live in, no matter what their mental capacity is, the Holy Spirit can speak to their hearts just like he did yours and mine. Amen? Everyone is given the opportunity 
to accept Jesus Christ into their heart and life. Amen. They may have a different name for what they want to call different things um, based on their traditions. You know, the, the native Indians to America, they always called it the, the happy hunting ground when they talked about heaven, you know. Hunting was their life, I guess. So that's what they got. Other places call them different things. We know by God's word what we're talking about when we talk about what's important in our hearts and lives. That's why it's so important for us, U.S., me and you, us, as Christians, to live a holy life that God's called us to live in. You know why? Because Hebrews 12, verse 14 says, Follow peace with all men, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. You're not going, nobody's going to see the Lord if they don't see him in your or my life. That's going to draw more people to Christ by Christians living holy, righteous lives will draw more people to God than all the evangelists going around the country. All the missionaries around the world, they're doing a great job. I say, amen, go get them, tiger. Amen. God didn't call me to that. I actually had two opportunities to go outside the United States and both times something came up and stopped them just weeks before I was supposed to go. Did you know that? Just before this pandemic we're under, I had arrangements made to go to the Holy Land. And what happened when the pandemic hit? You ain't flying nowhere, boy. They sent my money back. That's something. It wasn't my money, but they sent the money back for the, the trip to the Holy Lands. Man, I was looking forward to that. I wanted to see where Jesus walked. I wanted to do what Jesus did. I wanted to be closer to Jesus. Nope. God said, this is as close as you're going to get right here. Amen? And so when it says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no one will see the Lord, in my Bible I wrote the word in me after that. Nobody's going to see the Lord unless they see it in me. I need to walk where they need to see that. Of course, verse 15, it says, looking diligently, lest, you know what lest means? That's a negative word. It means in order not to. Looking diligently, lest any man fail the grace of God, and then there's a semicolon, that means, and add to that, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Hmm. So if they don't see holiness in me, and if you would say, I want to live as good as dude does. You know what will happen? The devil will see to it they get a root of bitterness that springs up and they end up defiled. They missed out on the vision God had for them. They may have heard the call. They may not have answered. But they need to understand that God gave them a chance. Everybody gets a chance. And that's why you have a conscience. Have you ever done something and knew, as soon as you did, man, I wish I hadn't done that. Huh, what do you think that is? That's the Holy Spirit saying, huh, pay attention, God's talking to you. 
Now you don't interpret it that way, but that's exactly what God is saying. Amen? Let me say this to each of us. When people meet you or see you, almost instantly they have an opinion of you. Whether good, bad, or indifferent, Therefore, we need to follow peace with all men and holiness, the scripture says, because that's where most people are going to see or not see God in your life. If you have a good impact on their life, the Holy Spirit can set up and start the calling process in the heart and life of the individual that looked at you. Amen. We all make choices all the time. Did you know that? I've heard it said that we make like 3,000 choices a minute sometimes, especially if you're driving and following me down the highway. Amen. You've got to make a lot of choices then. You're wondering, what in the world is he doing? Amen. But here we go. We need to understand. You make choices. Amen. What restaurants you like to go to and what restaurants you don't want to go to. Easy choices sometimes, right? Amen. Depends on who's picking up the tab. Nonetheless, we need to understand you made choices. Amen. Amen. We don't all see things alike, and there's some things I like you probably don't like. And there's probably things you like I could care less about. Amen. So we just need to make the right choices. Now, in the, world, the way we see the world perfect, are we all perfect? Well, it depends on how you're using it because, again, how, the way it's used in Scripture in a lot of cases, when you're right with God, that's about as good as you can get. You notice there's no better way of saying perfect. You can't say he's more perfect or the most perfect. If you're perfect, you're perfect. All right? There's no perfecter or perfectest. Uh, perfect is perfect. You can't make it better than it is. All right, but now things change. What was perfect for you when you got saved is not perfect for you today because through the sanctifying process, there's some things God says, get rid of that and add this. I'm writing it on your heart. Amen? So uh, everyone in, in everyone else's eyes, you can say, well, I'm perfect. And say it knowing that you're talking about in your walk with God. In other words, there's nothing between me and God. If you want to use it, the word perfect there, or mature is a better way of saying it maybe. But in everybody else's eyes, they're going to, when you say that, they're going to say, he ain't perfect. Amen. Amen. But if you're walking in holiness and righteousness and resisting the temptation of the devil in the world... You're in good shape with God. Amen. You're doing the best you can. Now tomorrow, God may send another message that you have to measure up to. But for today, and that's all we've got is today. I can't live in tomorrow. I can't live in the past. I have to live for today. I got to tell you, I love my wife. And I believe she loves me after 43 years of cooking for me. Otherwise, she would have took the better offers that she had. But I don't look at her as perfect. And I know she doesn't look at me as perfect. Amen. Because she doesn't see me that way. But I believe she's a Christian. I believe she's walking in all she knows to walk in. 
and she probably sees the same in me. Amen? But every day is a new day, and we have to walk in what God shows us that day. If God reveals something in my life through the two witnesses, I must step up to the plate and make that adjustment in my life if I want God to reveal more truth in my life than he's already revealed to me now. Amen. Can I tell you something? God's not going to reveal more truth to you if you refuse to walk in the truth he's already revealed to you. Amen? Amen. And you shouldn't think that's hard on the job. They probably have stipulations. If you want to get to this pay raise, you got to A, B, C, D. You just can't walk in and say, you know what, that guy up there makes more money than me. I want his money. You have to earn it. You have to step up to the plate. You have to walk the steps they want you to walk to get the pay raises they offer you. Amen? It's going to cost us some things as we move forward in that. Of course, uh, stepping up, that's what we call sanctification, but that's another message for another time. So get back to Revelation 4 and 1 right now. Here John is writing what he's inspired to write by the Holy Spirit that reveals it to him. Now we're kind of not picking up at the very beginning in this revelation, but it's something that uh, I think we can kind of put the pieces of the puzzle together. That's the way I look at reading the scripture. Just like a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle. First time you turn it upside down and spill it out on the table, some of the pieces are even turned the wrong direction. So the first thing you got to do is turn them all over so you can see what color they are. Then you have to match the reds with the reds and the blues with the blues and the greens with the greens and put them in the right shape and the right corners and the right ways. And when you're all done, you get a picture of what God has for us. Amen? That's the way we see a puzzle. Amen? Well, here's John in this fourth chapter, and he's still receiving the revelation or the vision that God has from him. Amen? Let me say right here, there's a difference between a calling and a vision. The best way for me to tell you the difference is by looking at the results it brings in your life. And everyone is called, but not everyone sees the vision. Amen? Jesus said in Matthew 20, 16, many are called, but few are chosen. Amen? In this context, we're trying to say the vision is a higher calling, I guess you could say, and it has more responsibilities with it. Again, just like your job. The higher you climb on the ladder, the more money you make, guess what? The more responsibility you have to carry for the company. Amen? They're, they're counting on you in a greater way. Amen. John was not the first person in the scriptures to receive a vision for God. Many people did in the Old Testament get a vision from God. Amen? You, I could sit here and name them off and you don't, you do, yep, yep, yep. Even Peter and Paul in their testimony, in the New Testament, uh, have a vision that they got from God. If Paul had never gotten the vision that God wanted to, the salvation to go to the Gentiles, 
we'd be on the outside looking in. Amen. We'd still think salvation's only for the Jews. And you'd have to be able to go into, what's that, Ancestry.com or whatever, trace your ancestry back to Moses or Abraham or you're out. Well, that's not the way it is. God says, my word is open to anyone that'll come and, and seek it. Amen. So we remember about those visions that God gave them and they were for a special action for each one of them in their day and time. Amen. God doesn't call me to preach to the Gentiles today. Amen. That's not what it is. He doesn't call me to preach to the Jews. He doesn't call me to preach to any. If you would select a group, he calls me to preach the word of God. And that's what I plan on doing. And for the sake of time, let me just make this statement about that. We'll see how it plays out in a lot of times the biblical testimonies they have as to how that vision was applied in their lives. Amen. So we have those things. And so what we understand is a calling is an invitation to salvation. That's a calling. A vision is an invitation to be a prophet. All right. Now the word prophet, I use that word because... The word prophet means two things. There's two words that go with the word prophet. One is to tell and one is to foresee. You can tell the future. That's what we think of as prophet a lot of times. Somebody can tell you the future. And a lot of people use that interpretation of it to come up with all these wild-haired ideas that they base on their Bible. The other one is to tell forth. That's what I like to do. I like to just take what it says here and broadcast it. Tell everybody what the Word of God says and what God means by it based on what the Word of God is saying. Here in Revelation, the fourth chapter, John is being called to prophesy in a great way to the church in the first century. All right? He not only wrote the book of Revelation, he wrote the Gospel of John and the three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. With all these writings, the Holy Ghost are, are the Holy Ghost ways of getting the truth to people that read them, and it's a way to reveal God's call on their life of salvation. Let me also say this. If you never answered the call of God, you'll never receive a vision from God. First things first. Amen? You don't go to school thinking, I'm so smart, I'm just going to jump right in the seventh grade. I'm not even going to bother with the first six. When you do that, you'll go in there and be so confused, you won't know what's going on. They'll be talking about things you never heard of before. So what do we need to do? We go to school, we start in the kindergarten or preschool, first grade, however, work our way up the ladder, and we learn more as we go. Hopefully, we learn more as we go. A lot of kids get discouraged and just say, I've had enough, I'm dropping out. You know, I made it to seventh grade, I can make it from there. Yeah, well, they usually don't end up being millionaires, but that, that's another subject. All right, and there are many in our world today that say they have a vision, but it doesn't line up with what the Word and the Spirit are teaching. So we know that vision is not the vision from God. Amen? That's what we call false prophets or false teachers and they are in the scripture 
We are to look out for them. We've got to be careful we don't follow them. Jesus referred to them as wolves in sheep's clothing. Amen? They want you to think they're just a little bad, bad, bad sheep having a good time. What you need to look at is the footprints they leave behind. A wolf has a whole different footprint than the sheep does. That'll let you know what's going on in their life. Now let's get back to what John's vision was. In other words, what God wants us to see through John's eyes and our spiritual eyes. Verse 1 said, I looked and behold, a door was open in heaven. How about that? Isn't that something? John saw an open door in heaven. Isn't that great? Now remember, this book is a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not of anything out in the distant future, not anything going on. And the first thing we need to discover, when we see the word heaven, we have to determine which one. Did you know there's three heavens talked about in the Bible? Yes. We have preached that before and proved it and understand it. And there's three of them. There's a lot of times when you're reading your Bible, you'll see the word heaven and it's plural. It has S. Heavens. What does that mean? Well, there are three heavens. Number one is where God lives. We call that heaven. Number two, in Genesis, the first chapter, we found the firmament that God created. He called it heaven. Amen. So all around us, what we might call our atmosphere or the sky or whatever, the place where the birds fly around and the place where the clouds are, the Bible calls that heaven. Amen? When it rains, it rains from heaven, in the scripture says. Amen. You know why? Because the government's not in charge of climate control. God is. Amen? No matter what they say, no matter what they teach you in college, Climate control is not, not controlled from Washington, D.C., no matter how much they tax you for it. Amen? God's in charge of that. And then the third heaven is what we were talking about in the New Testament. It's called heavenly places. Jesus uh, is what set up the church, and that church then becomes heavenly places. Isn't it great to have a little bit of heaven to go to heaven in? Wouldn't that be something? You know why we live here in the church? Now, the church is not the building, remember. The church is the hearts of the people that have accepted the calling from God of salvation. You know why it's so warm and cozy when we come together? Because we all should be walking under the same calling. We may have different visions, but we all should have went through the door to heaven. Well, who's the door? Wow, if you go to John, the, the, the 10th chapter, Jesus said, I'm the door. Anybody else that's come my way, they're a thief and a robber. Amen, I'm the door to the sheep. I let them come in and out and I let them find pasture. Go read it, John, the 10th chapter. Read the first nine verses. He says three times, I'm the door. Amen. So that's where we get the understanding that this door was open in heaven. That's Jesus Christ inviting you and I to the calling on our life so that we too can enjoy heaven now and heaven eternally. Amen. So we see that's what he's talking about here. When we read the word heaven, we always have to understand the context in which it is written. 
Amen. So here we go. John is telling us that the way to heaven is by being a part of the church. Isn't that something? That don't even sound like a new revelation to me. I think that sounds like a kindergarten teaching or a vacation Bible school teaching, and yet there are people today that struggle with it. They don't know about the door, don't know about how to get in the church. Amen. Actually, this book, John's writing, is called, again, the Revelation Singular. This book is the only revelation, and it's a revelation of Jesus Christ alone. That's what the Revelation 1 and 1 tells us. Now, since Jesus is the door to the church, this vision is Jesus Christ calling people to salvation. So it makes sense that the first voice Jesus heard was as the sound of a trumpet because that's what Jesus' voice sounds like. Did you know that? In a vision, it sounds like the voice of a trumpet. What does that mean? We'll go back to Revelation, the first chapter, a couple pages back and see what it says. Verse 9 and 10. He says, I, John, your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom, and in patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle called Patmos, that's what I told you, to get the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's why he was in the isle of Patmos. They thought they took him there to kill him. Nope, he was there to get the testimony of God in this vision. God had worked it out. God had knew all about that. You say, well, oh man, that's never happened before. Wait a minute. Who's the mother of Jesus Christ? Anybody know? Mary, the Virgin Mary. And God wanted the Virgin Mary to, to be the mother of his only begotten son. Where'd she live? Nazareth. Where was he supposed to be born? Bethlehem. That's 90 miles apart. And when he found out about this, where'd she run to? She ran to Jerusalem and met up with Elizabeth. Zechariah talked it over with them. I can't believe what's going on in my life. God spoke to me. And, and that's nothing. Six months ago, did the same for me and Zach. We had no kids. But boy, I got one swelling up now. Amen. God knows how to put people in the right place, even though it may be uncomfortable to pull off his perfect plan for the, all of mankind. Amen. Amen. That's just one example. Amen. It says here that he was in the Isle of Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus. And verse 10 says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. That's a good place to be. Amen. When you come to church, you need to be in the spirit on the Lord's day. And he heard behind him a great voice as of a trumpet saying, you have a red letter edition Bible, you'll see that the next verse there is Jesus Christ in red letters speaking to him. The voice of a trumpet is the voice of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what he's saying here when he said in verse 1 of chapter 4, and I heard as if it were a trumpet talking with me which said, come up hither and I'll show you things hereafter. Amen? So what is the voice told to John? We need to see with spiritual eyes and not natural eyes what's going on in this particular re revelation at this time. That voice says, if you want to see it, you got to come up. 
You know what he's saying? Answer the call when I call you. Amen? When I send truth your way, answer the call. Amen? Come up hither. I got more for you. Come on up here. We got more for this. Amen. And it, did it take him a long time to get there? Verse 2 says immediately. John said, hey, you got more truth for me. I want it and I want it now. Immediately. I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was set in heaven and one sat on that throne. Amen. You know what John stopped doing? He stopped looking around, started looking up. You want to get the revelation from God? Quit looking around and look up. Amen. Amen. You want to get discouraged? Look around. But if you want to get encouraged, look up. Amen. Amen. And this vision was of a throne. Now, understandably, this is not a throne in the way you and I would think of a throne. If we thought of a throne, what would we think of? This great big chair with an eight-foot backing on it with a soft pillow built into it and oh it's so and jewels all over it and decorated to the hilt right no this wasn't anything like that this throne was just where Jesus was at wherever Jesus is that's his throne amen so he saw Jesus there and he looked around and he saw that and rightfully it was the place for Jesus Christ. Jesus de deserves all the throne situations we can give him because without him, none of us would have the salvation or answer the call that God wants us to have. This throne was set in heaven again. Again, which heaven is this? Well, I believe this is the church. He's trying to tell the church how important the church is not only to him, but in winning the whole world that is to come. Amen? Now, this heaven and this vision could be, uh, if you would, simultaneously where Jesus is. And we know when he left this earth, he went up through the clouds and told them, I'm going to heaven. And of course, the scripture says he went there and sat down on the right hand of the Father in heaven. Okay? That's his rightful place, if you would. But also, uh, he can be the church's door. Remember, we just talked about that in the first verse. He's the door to the throne of God, if you would. Now, the church um, would not be the church if it didn't have a door of salvation. But in either case, no matter how you want to look at this throne that Jesus is, if you would, on... Um, Jesus is on the throne because of his authority in the word of God and in the spirit of God. Amen. In the church. Amen. He has the ultimate authority over the church. That's why he's on the throne. Amen. You can't get in the church, nor you can't get in heaven, unless the authority on the throne invites you in. Now, verse 3, John's vision here, he saw something that looks like jasper and sardin stone. Now, I don't know what those stones are. You could roll all the fancy stones of the world that are all listed in the scriptures and roll them all out before me, and I couldn't tell you one from the other. 
I might be able to pick out an emerald because I've been told since I was born in May, that's my birthstone. Okay, and I kind of looked them up and, and it still doesn't make sense. It's kind of a greenish, bluish something. Okay, all of us May people should know that, right? That's very important, right? <laughs> all right, but I know one thing, it's precious. I don't have any emeralds. I can't afford emeralds. I can't afford jaspers. And I have no idea what a jasper is. Now, I know it's precious, and that's all I need to know about it. Amen. I know that those things are uh, important. But he not only said around this throne are jasper and sardine stones, and of course at the end he says they look like an emerald. So I don't know how that works. I guess if you put enough jasper stones and sardine stones together, they'll look like emeralds. I don't know. I don't even know what color they are or what, how it works. I don't want to get into that because that's just to take up too much time. I just know they're valuable, expensive, and important. But I do know something about it says there was a rainbow round about that throne. What else do you know from the Bible about a rainbow? You probably learned that in vacation Bible school. When we studied about Noah and the ark, when he came off the ark, what did God promise him? I'm never going to flood the whole world again with water. Never going to do it. Oh, we have floods from time to time. They're probably bracing for one right now down in Louisiana. Amen. But they're good at it. They get to do that like three or four times a year. They'll handle that. A week from now, that won't even be on the news. But it's just something that's negative that's happening, and the news loves that negative stuff because negative news sells. Amen. They're not one on CNN this afternoon said, man, did they have a great service at Faith Christian Fellowship today. That's positive news. They don't want to fool with that. But a lot of hurricane head towards... Uh, the Gulf of Mexico and the whole world has to sit and listen to it for hours. Amen. So when God took to Noah and he came off the ark, guess what? God made a promise. That rainbow was his covenant or his promise to Noah and everybody that comes after him. Never again will I do that. Hmm, isn't that something? Well, guess what? Jesus on this throne has a rainbow around him. You know what it's for? It's to make sure you understand his promise, his covenant. The things he said, he's going to keep his word. Whatever you read about Jesus in the New Testament or about his life or what he stands for or what the church stands for, his rainbow says, I'm going to keep that promise. Amen. So if Jesus keeps his promises... To those that come to the door in repentance and ask for forgiveness, they'll be welcomed in. That's something, because he promised it. The rainbow says so. <coughs> now, along with that vision, it says there was an emerald. Again, I don't know anything about that. Amen. All John, I think, is saying in this vision, and it may have meant more to him than it does me, it was beautiful, and it was valuable. And we don't want to miss out on it. Amen? I hear people all the time. I talk to people all the time and hear them say, man, if I could just hit the lottery. Yeah? Well, spit in one hand and play your lottery ticket in the other and see which one comes first. Amen? But here we have John saying, I do understand that those things are valuable. And by the promise of Christ, that value can be installed in me. 
Amen. Amen. Personally, I don't ever want to spend any money on a gemstone. I think I was married to Bonnie for at least 25 years before I bought her a wedding ring. Boy, what a cheapskate. Amen. Well, that's okay, too. Amen. I, I just told her to live like you're married, and I don't care whether you got a ring on or not. I didn't have had a ring for forever. Of course, I tore my, about tore my finger off because I had a ring, being a mechanic. That ha that's another story. But nonetheless, valuable things are valued because of how they relate to you in your life. Amen. Amen. Uh, I do not understand a, a lot of the things that are expensive and nice that people want to go out and spend money for. Amen. That's what I call keeping up with the Joneses, so to speak. And I don't even get involved in that. But to me, Jesus is the most precious thing that I could invest in. And we need to keep our eyes on him at all times. I believe that's what John's vision was trying to tell us. Now we get to verse 4. Man, oh man, are we a far, far away from verse 11. And it says, And around about the throne was four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Now, now we're talking. Now we're down to gold. I read somewhere recently I think just last week I read where if all the gold in the world was melted down and piled up, it would be about the size of an eight-room house. Now, that's a big house. But you see how many people fighting for a piece of gold here, there, and yonder, and that's all the gold there is in the world, if you would? Amen. Maybe, let's say there's enough to fill the church here. Upstairs, downstairs, and all around. So what? Amen. I'm not going to fight over it. And it's not mine anyway. Amen. So what I want you to see is, around the throne, we see 24 seats. And 24 elders in those seats. And how are they clothed? In white raiment. And they have gold crowns on their head. Now, we know what white raiment stands for. Amen? We need to understand who these, uh, what these gold crowns are for. We even have songs that the lyrics in the song tell us about when we get to heaven. We'll take our golden crown and give it to Jesus. Right? Oh, you've all heard those songs? Oh, the streets of gold. Oh, yes, uh, in heaven the streets are made of gold. No, that's just pavement. That's, don't even pay no attention to that. It means it's valuable to walk in heaven, but it don't mean they're going to be made out of, if you would, literal gold. Amen? So here we go. We need to get the understanding of who these 24 elders are. And we can see that if we go over to the next chapter, chapter 5, and read down through verses, uh, well, let's just pick up verse 9. And they sung, and it's the, the 4 and 20 elders, they're, they're falling down before the throne with their golden vows full of elders, well, that's the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, and this is the Bible, take that book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain, who was slain, to give us the revelation 
of what's in God's word. Jesus Christ. Because you was the one that was slain, Jesus, and has redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. Remember I told you that at the beginning. No matter where you come from, you still have to answer the call of God. Huh. But they are the redeemed. So when he talks about the four and twenty elders, he's talking about the people that have been born again, have answered the call of God, and are in his church. Not the building, the church that Christ built. You have to be able, be able to make the difference there. So here they are. All the different bloods they come from, all the different languages, all the different colors, no matter where you came from, you're going to be what God wants you to be. Amen? The fact that they're dressed in white robes shows the pureness and the sinlessness of the redeemed saints. Amen? You'll find out many times, not only in the Revelation, but in the Scriptures, when someone's dressed in white, it's supposed to be a representation of their purity. Amen? Just like a virgin girl, when she gets married, she wears a white gown. That shows her purity and what she's going to do after she meets the bridegroom and they go on to live a life together. She's coming as the, his bride dressed in white for him and him only now the gold crowns what do we think of when we think of gold crowns have you ever won a gold crown i think i think uh, the only thing i time i see crowns anymore is like uh, miss america or whatever they call that stuff uh but you know it's 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 a symbol of victory you get the crown that's because you won the victory amen so these victories they can be celebrated because these victories are victory over sin, over the devil, over the world. And the only way we can be victorious in that is by the blood of Jesus Christ and his grace being applied to our lives. To me, this declares uh, the vision to be in the church and not in heaven where God lives because in that heaven... Jesus went there in a white garment, but nowhere in the scripture does it say when Jesus went to heaven, God gave him a crown. He won the victory. The Bible does tell us that. He's, got, he's the only one that had the victory over sin and over the things that the enemy wanted to put in God's people's lives. And if you want victory in your life, you've got to go through the door. You've got to go through Jesus. You've got to apply for the grace. You've got to repent. You've got to ask for forgiveness then and then only can you get the crown or the victory God has for you. Amen. We'll find out later on in the Revelation, we'll not get there for a while, but at the redeemed, when they get to heaven and before the throne, what do they do? They, take their, they cast their crowns at the feet of Jesus. Why? He's the one that earned it. We didn't earn it. He did. Amen. So in other words, our greatest victory on earth is only because of the grace of God that is in our life because of Jesus Christ. Amen. The best you've ever seen in Dude Evans is only because of Jesus Christ. I have nothing to glory in, and all the glory I have in my life, if there is any, 
goes to Jesus Christ for saving me. Now I know what dude was before he got saved. I know all about that rascal. Amen. Most of you don't know him. And thank God you didn't. But now you see a different dude because of Jesus Christ. Amen. So then in verse 5, out of the thrones, what's the throne? That's Jesus' presence with his authority proceeds lightnings. What are lightnings? Flashes of truth. Light that lights up our life. That's how he sends them to us, if you would. That's how we get the truth of God's word. As if it were lightning flashing across the sky. Amen. He said uh, in verse 5, Out of the throne proceeds lightnings, thunders, and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now if I get through this verse, I'll call it quits for today. But hang in there with me just a little bit longer. Amen. So the lightnings, what are they? They're flashes of truth. And the only truth comes to us, comes in small portions. Isn't that something? As much power as there is. Do you know they tell me one strike of lightning has enough power in it to light up an entire city for like three weeks? But we have no way of harnessing that power. We can't control it. Huh. You mean God's in control of what light we get? I'd say so. Because he's the one that wants to take you from the calling to the vision. Amen? Uh, we only know the truth in small portions. And when we adhere to that truth, he'll send us more. Amen? Amen. You can Somewhere in the world premiere every day, lightning's flashing. Amen? Guess what? Somewhere in Christians' lives, almost every day, God's revealing truth to them. Amen. The thunderings, that's just a warning that lightning's on its way. Amen. We need to heed the truth. Amen. That's sent to us because the next time the truth comes is going to be built on the last truth we already got. The more truth we heed to, the brighter our light is in this world. And remember, we're all light of the world. Jesus told us that in Matthew 5, 14 through 16. Amen. You're the light of the world. A city sit on a hill that cannot be hid. They don't light candles and put them under a bushel. They put them on the, on the table. So it lights up the whole, everything around it. Well, that's the way your life should be. Wherever you go, you should light up the world around you. Amen. Along with being the light of the world... We've got to use our voices. But, only, but we only need to say what we hear from heaven. This is the only time that you should plagiarize. When we use the word of God for his glory. Amen? Amen. Notice in that first, uh, fifth verse, he says, then there were lightnings and thunders and voices. And then there's a colon. I've been nailing the colons a lot. It means, and add to that, that there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne. Huh. Now this throne is where Jesus is sitting. And there's seven lamps of fire burning around it. Isn't that something? Well, what does that stand for? Well, if you go back 
you'll find out that there were seven lamps burning that Jesus said we need to write letters to. In the second and third chapter, Jesus told John to write seven letters to seven churches. Amen? You can read them in chapter 2 and 3. But go back to verse or chapter 1 and let's find out what it was all about. Verse 20 says, The mystery of the seven stars which thou saw in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels. Huh, how about that? Of the churches. And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Now, it goes on to say in chapter 4, verse number 5, that in, in those seven stars, we know those are the ministers or the pastors of those churches, the messengers, the word angels means messenger, and in the seven candlesticks are the seven churches. Amen. There's a place in the scripture, I'm not going to turn to it now, but it says if you get out of line with Christ, you know what he'll do? He'll remove your candlestick. Huh. And there are people saying you can't backslide. And my Bible says he'll take the light right out of your life. Amen. So here we have seven candlesticks and those seven firing candlesticks are burning right in front of the throne. They're the seven churches, those candlesticks. Now, it says there which are the seven spirits of God. God doesn't have seven spirits. He has one. But he's referring to the seven churches there that are before the throne when this vision is given. And each one of those seven churches is being led by the Spirit of God. So they have, it appears to those seven churches as seven spirits, but there's only one. Amen? We need to understand that. Amen? We need to be led by the Spirit of God. Amen? And if we'll do that, even though in different locations, God's Spirit can still operate wherever it is. Therefore, in division, it's as if there's seven spirits, but that's not the case. There's only one. Now, let me close it. When your calling becomes a vision, we need to take account of where we stand before the throne, where we stand before Jesus Christ. Are we living up to all the truth that the Word of God and the Spirit of God has revealed to us? Are we measured up? That's the old school way of saying it. We used to hear it in the old uh, church that I used to go to. They'd say, are you measured up? Or do you have the victory? Amen. We don't hear much teaching about that anymore. But I want you to know a, a simp there are some simple tests to see whether you're measured up or not. I don't even have to preach on them. Most of you know it. One of the most simple tests is, are you tithing? How's your church attendance? How's your Sunday school attendance? How's your prayer life? How's your Bible reading? You know, that's so simple. Those five things will probably indicate to you, if you'll be honest, whether you're up to date with Christ or not. Amen. If you're not up to date with God, how can we expect God to pull you up even closer? Amen. Examine this. Have I answered the call of God for forgiveness and repentance? Is my slate 
clean before God? Am I dressed in white robes? Do I have a crown on my head? Amen? Is there one there that I think I deserved on my own merits? That's a piece of tin. But now if it was there because Christ gave it to me, it's a crown of gold. Amen. Well, if we're up to date in our calling, that lets us know we can move forward in our vision. Amen. So let's make sure God has spoken to us and called us where he wants us to be at this time, but that's not good for tomorrow. Whatever he calls us tomorrow, we have to measure up again. Amen. I'll pick it up next Sunday and we'll try to wrap some of this up and show you the difference between a calling and a vision. If you want to have some insight, just read the rest of the chapter before next Sunday and read Isaiah, the sixth chapter. They're parallels. And you'll understand a lot more about your calling on your life and the vision that God wants you to have. And remember, Jesus never said it'd be easy, just worth it.